Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Today is a gorgeous day, and I'll tell you what, here's how it's a gorgeous day. I'm going to challenge each and every one of you to look at something beautiful today. I'm looking at today as a beautiful day. It's a great way to shift your mood and become more peaceful and uplifted automatically. So find something beautiful in your life. Maybe it's your pet, maybe it's your wife, maybe it's your husband, maybe it's a painting. Whatever it is, take Take a minute or two to just appreciate its beauty, and you'll be amazed at how quickly that becomes infectious through your mind, body, and soul. All right, folks, let's get this party started. It's Wednesday and a hump day. It's time to play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Welcome to The Crude Life. My name is Jason Spies. That is Sterling. We've got a fantastic Wednesday hump day in store for you today. Next segment, Candy Crush, Pop Rocks talk. After our invigorating talk about Pop Rocks blowing up the head of Mikey yesterday. Yeah, Mikey, the famous Mikey incident. It got us both a little bit curious, so we did a little bit of research on whether that uh, fake news was real or not about pop rocks having like some big success and then all of a sudden mikey the kid from life cereal eats it and his head blows up and (laughs) all kinds of different things so we kind of looked at it and there's some truth behind it but then there's some exaggerations yeah and mythbusters did some experiments so so. we're going to expand that into different candies so candy crush coming up in our next segment and then uh, later on in the program our final segment before we get to play hard because we are in the work hard portion no we're in the play hard portion right now i get that all mixed up see in the play hard portion i can do that that's because you do both at the same time usually i, I know because I, I i usually handle the work hard portion too when when uh, uh jenica has been busy lately so jenica has got three or four interviews lined up she's been trying to get let me tell you a lot of these government officials mm-hmm. very difficult to get now, right now i can imagine right Every excuse in the book. Yeah. And push it off, push it off, push it off. COVID this, holidays this, all yeah. this other stuff. I'm telling you, man. Well, a it, lot of these people aren't going to be around in 10 days, right? So, I mean, it's got to be chaos. I have no idea. All I know is that they get paid to talk to people mm-hmm. in the news media. And to do what they're doing is is in the last six months to a year. A lot of stonewalling. Accessibility has been almost zero. That's yeah. why when we get U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer on, we're very excited yeah, just happy. about that. Yeah, well, he oh, seems accessible. Totally. Yeah. And he, oh, he's very accessible. In fact, that's going to be our newsmaker interview a little bit later in the program. We're going to re-air that interview. We had some whole scheduling kerfuffles and all kinds of different things with our newsmaker interview. So we're going to actually have two later on today we're going to record so um we had to jostle a few things but we want to make sure that this program is daily we want to make sure it's available every morning at 7 a.m central time so our newsmaker segment is u.s senator kevin kramer and this is the interview where he talks and explains why if we continue down the path we're going we're going to have four oil and gas companies on the planet 
Yeah, consolidation. Right. Mm -hmm. And when you think about the Chinese government is one of those oil companies. Saudi Aramco is the other oil company. South America, whatever they're doing in Venezuela is the other one. Well, that only leaves one more. Right. Okay. Yeah, who's it going to be? We're going to re-air that interview. So if you've heard it before... It's probably not a bad idea to listen to it again. Definitely still relevant. And if you've never heard it before, this is a brand new interview, folks. Top of the line, award-winning, Pulitzer Prize winning interview. (laughs) You do not want to miss this interview. Holy smokes. Okay, what else do we got? I got to turn my level up just a tish, a tash, and a John Tesh. Okay, what else do we have coming up? News. News is coming up. A few good stories as well. Some good, interesting news coming out of Texas. As well as uh, salary news. Yeah, salary news. Yeah, not so good news there. A little bit of D.C. news as well. And uh, we had Edwin and Lisa on last night. And by the way, if you missed yesterday's show, we had a very interesting program with uh, two people, husband and wife, Edwin and Lisa. They were in Washington, D.C. when all the on the sixth insurrection and the kerfuffle and the brouhaha happened. So they gave a firsthand account of everything that they saw as well as some feelings. And, you know, you might ask, well, why did you have it on there? Well, honestly, because it is very instrumental with the oil and gas industry. Mm -hmm. It's very instrumental with our way of life. And the crude life, if nothing, is a lifestyle program at the end of the day. I mean, we, we have a news department, but we are a lifestyle brand. It's the crude life. It's in the name. Right. So... I'm what really, else we have? Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm really curious about that interview. I want to hear more. All right. And then we have coming up right now. I'm very excited because this is our segment we call The Shell Company. <gasps> yes. <laughs> you ready, folks? I'm, We're going to build a shell company. I am excited. I know. I mean, haven't you always wanted to have I, a shell company? I, yeah. I mean, because, right, shell company, step one, step two, something, step three, wealth is how I read it. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> step one. Create shell company. Shell company. Step two, make money off shell company. Step three, own private island. You see, it's good to have goals. Yeah. Right. Simple. Okay, so what do we do? All the A-list celebrities have private islands. Oh, yeah. I mean, Mel Gibson. Johnny Depp. Charles Widmore. Sting. Grape Ape. King yeah, Kong didn't had they one. find him on an island? Right. Well, it was his. Sure, right, yeah. That's what I'm saying. It was his yeah. until they took people, until they take the apes from there. <laughs> I know you've always had a soft spot for the apes. So, okay, so tell me, why do we need a shell company? To make money. Okay, so how do we make money with the shell company? What I learned over the last 20 years is that every successful business person has a shell company or five. Okay. They do. And during this last PPP round of money, mm-hmm. a lot of those people with shell companies, that's how they got their bonuses because these shell companies are just kind of operated to get, you know, you get paid to do nothing. Right. You got it. Okay. Well, we need one person. You need Patsy. Right. Yeah. It says so on the list. Oh, we got a list? Yeah. I think actually they, okay. they, they call it an officer, but Patsy. Yeah. Well, you, you, well you're, you're taking this serious. I'm, research, I'm, man. I'm, I'm just, I'm ready to go. No, but I'm you excited. actually are trying to have a list and a checklist yeah. of how did you know you to... can buy currently established shell companies so we don't even have to make one of our our own up i know about the secret saudi special sale that you have with your buddies it's not really secret with your though, ramco when you, brats when you mention and, it well that's why i'm saying but it you know okay so 
Do you know the password to get into the secret room? Yeah, I'm not going to say it on air. Folks, here's the deal. Sterling's got some connections through some connections that have connections that know a guy. I know a guy. Where there's this annual sale, if you will, for shell companies. Mm Mm-hmm. It's established business plans that have never got off the ground. Yeah, it's more of an auction. Yeah. Of dreams yep. and shattered it's an dreams. For failed dreams. Yep. Well, you know, it, it's it's great. If you don't have a dream, but you know you'd like to have one, this is the place to go. That that employee sitting in the cubicle twenty hours a day for four hours, just constructing his own shell company type yep. thing that never got off the ground type of a thing. That's what we want. Well, that that's exactly yeah. so. Do you get to look at these business plans ahead of time, or is it like the police auction where... No, it's what you, you see is what you get. It's name only, man. So it's the jacket. Yeah. So it's like it's, when you go into a movie back in the 80s, back right. in the 90s, that's right. where, you're, where you go into Yeah, you movie. were taking a chance. You, you were taking a risk. that was, by the way, movie stores? Yeah, yeah, kids these days, huh? Oh, yeah, walking through Blockbuster. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like Netflix now. I mean, I'll tell you, I... I've been on dates where, you, you know, you, you, you make dinner and then you're going to watch a Netflix, right? Mm-hmm. We spend 45 minutes trying to watch the Netflix. We go to bed. Yeah. My wife and I don't actually watch anything together. I just said dates, didn't I? Go on. <laughs> I just realized how, <laughs> how much casual, off the beaten path there. How, how casual I made that go to bed sound there. Yeah. Like, it's just part of the night. Well, you know, most people do <laughs> and, go to bed. <laughs> wonder why my dates go biblically bad i'm assuming things apparently on the way in a little too hard there man you just keep digging oh dear god oh folks this is okay wonderful. so what kind of shell company are we gonna get well if you're gonna go uh, just by a name yeah what kind of name should we get well you want to come up with a name or you want to buy a name i mean you got to have something you either want something that sounds as mundane as possible or something that sounds really exciting. Existential Enron. There you go. Something with two or three X's in it. Existential Enron. Yeah. That kind of says everything, doesn't it? Like, yeah. Like we're kind of like Enron, but we're bigger than Enron. Pretty sure that'll set off some red flags somewhere, right? Enron 2.0. There you go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're the ultimate shell company, right? I well, yeah. I, I don't know if they were. They had shell companies. Yeah, but no, weren't they themselves a shell company I'm not at the exactly end of the day? Sure. Well, I'll have to ask my were. brother-in-law. He worked for Enron. Well, I thought there was a whole documentary and everything about, you know, dissecting how it all worked and this and that. Right. And, and inflated values. So, and well, Yeah. That's the idea. Is the Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, isn't, isn't the idea to create an IPO, inflate the value, get a bunch of people to give you, you know, $100,000. Right. Go buy a new Jaguar. Go buy new suits. Go rent a new office building. Mm-hmm. And then... And then come up with the product. Yeah, I think you need to get all that stuff out of the way first, right? Right. Well, yeah. the product comes last, yeah. right? Yeah. And the shell company? Yeah, that's kind of... Well, there is it's no product. Sizzle. It's not product. I know. <laughs> there is no product. <laughs> what was that great 30 Rock episode where Gavin McClure... What did he have? Sunstream? Oh, yeah. Where it was just an eagle flying and <laughs> words like freedom and synergy. Yeah. If you listen, we never <laughs> sold anything. See, here's why you want a shell company. You want a shell company so that then you can raise funds for something. Whether it's a crude life, Johnny Green, you name it. I just want to do an Ocean's Eleven heist. Well, see, okay, well, that's like breaking into a casino. But isn't that what a shell company is doing? Well, you can actually use them for legal things, too. 
Get out of here. Yeah. Shelf help. These can be good. You know what? I had no idea until today. Come on. Yeah, you know, honestly. What does it say? People can use them. Pull up your little, pull up, pull up your, your ruler, smart guy. <laughs> I got my slide yeah, rule you, here. Right. Shell companies are not good, are they? Yeah. I, I always thought they were a bad thing. Well, like, they're they're usually used for evil. Yeah. That's why people go to jail, is because right. they have a shell company. All right, what's it say? What's it say? Well, okay, so basically a shell company is just it, it's an external entity that you can use that's not connected to you to manage assets, right? So it's it's just basically there to funnel things. Oh, I've had one of those before. It only costs about a thousand bucks to set up and you don't even really have to have much more than a license or a passport. Yeah. I mean, we did it once for a consulting company, essentially. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we had we had our regular business, our, our, our media business. Our, and at that, at that time, it was print. Right. We were doing print and uh, online and stuff. But because we were assisting newspapers and magazines by getting them online, we essentially had to create a new company which was a consulting company. Would that mm. be like a shell company then? I, yeah, I guess. It's just basically I mean, different we, layers of protection and well, we anonymous. Did, we did work, but we kind of used the other company to fund the other company. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, the, Well, I mean, the, the, the management company really didn't have to pay for the trip. It was the other company that paid for it. Yeah, yeah. For tax purposes, the other company. I never felt right about it. So no, you shouldn't. I mean, oh, not really. Okay, so yeah. it was. We were skirting. <laughs> no, you probably weren't doing anything we, illegal. No, but, it was all loopholes. Yeah, it's all loopholes. That's we the paid thing. somebody yeah. to make sure it was all loopholes. Think how much time goes into making loopholes. Oh, that's a whole industry. Yeah, right oh, there. Yeah, I will think of how much industries in the low low self-esteem I mean, so just real quick on yeah. the shell company thing, let's get back to if i have here. some possibilities on some good potential shell company names you want me to jump on them well when is this auction like a it's, month it's, right? it's coming up next month yep yeah, yep. It's right before, yeah it's right before valentine's day it's a heart-filled event honey i just bought us a shell company yep boy and you know the name is is important but at the same time um the product too, but I get it. This is my first time I get to go into a company not thinking about the product or service. Yeah, wasn't that the dot com burst? <laughs> I know I missed right? I, I missed that whole thing because I was the idiot doing actual work. Right. Yeah. 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 Worker B. Hey, look at that pit bull dog. You know that sort of thing. <laughs> I mean, and so now I I, I want to do the no. Let's. Let's let's find that Patsy or what are they? they obviously, they're not Patsies. What are no, they? No, it's like basically like an officer. So if you set up the corporation, okay. you have to provide information about it, but it's it's kept in you know it's private, and that's one of the reasons you do it uh, offshore, you know, in in uh, the Bahamas or something like that. So they keep your information private. The Shell Corporation, a Shell Corporation. I wondered about that. No, apparently Did not. Did you? Okay, because I thought I was being too obvious. Yeah, I that would I was, be. I yeah. thought I was being too. Yep. That would be too much of a coincidence. Too I think. snarky. Yeah, too snarky. Yeah. Or, or stupid. Yeah. I mean, because it's stupid. Are Apple computers made out of apples? Or what's Zoolander? It's in the computer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just awesome stuff. So, all right. So we got, we know when it is. It's next month. Yep. We know that we need an officer or we need somebody to do the work mm-hmm. for whatever. Well, we're not going to have a product, right? Yeah. Yeah, and based on what I'm hearing from you, you don't want to be the officer, too. We need to find somebody. uh, I want to do as little work as possible and maximize my income as much as possible. That's what I want with this. Okay. That's Is that our business 
See, then maybe what you should do. Do we need to have a shell mission plan <laughs> to the actual? Because we're, yeah, buy, we're buying a we mission plan. Step one, acquire mission plan. Step two, magic. Step three, profit. Okay, so step one, acquire business plan. <laughs> so we don't have to come up with a mission. No, somebody else has already done that. And this business plan could have a product. Yeah. It could or it could not. Ideally, no. It could be a service. Yeah. I'm, could I'm, be, it I'm, could just be a new idea. It might just be an idea. You know, and some of these could be from the 70s because uh, these are, for my, what you told me is it's like a big warehouse in Saudi Arabia filled with shattered dreams, shattered dreams of, of bankers boxes and zip drives and <laughs> floppy disks. Floppy disks. In some cases. Reel to reel. Right. Where, I mean, to where if, if you buy a floppy disk business plan, well, now you got to go buy an Apple IIc on eBay to put it in the side in order to get, <laughs> I mean, so you, there's, and, but so, that's why some of these don't sell for anything, and that's why they stick around. Yeah, and those are the ones I like to shoot for. Well, the that's what I'm saying, because you can pick them up for a song, right? Absolutely. But it starts at 1000 bucks, right? Yeah. Okay, so nine or nine ninety nine ninety nine nine ninety nine ninety nine. Yeah, okay, it's a psychological so. trigger, apparently. <laughs> right. So there is a bit of a buy-in. You got to tip the guy, too, apparently. Well, okay, it's, I know it's yeah, one of your Ramco, hush, hush, one of your Ramco brats told me that. <laughs> so we get a name, we get a company, we get a business plan. Some of these don't have websites. Some do. Yeah, some of them came out before there was a thing like oh, a website. Fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. We're going to do as little work as possible for as maximum potential as possible. Yeah. Man, we're, we're going to do the American dream, baby. Absolutely. I'm going to and for business plans that center on pager technology and car phones, you know, because uh, technology is cyclical. It all comes back around. I mean, we might get something from the dot-com boom, too. <laughs> Leftover. Yeah, detritus. <laughs> What's this? It's a business plan for Betamax. <laughs> you know, just some, some... It's coming back in a big way, man. Hey, vinyl came back. It's ant all right. skyscrapers. Okay. It's at ant farms. <laughs> Oh, man. I wonder why ant skyscrapers never did take off. Did you ever have an ant farm? Of course. It was depressing. Everybody had an ant farm, didn't Mine they? Mine dug straight down and died. They actually, um, they died in less than a week anyways. That's the, a, the, the, yeah, species the species of ants. Yeah. Because they were, I believe they were all males or they were all females. But there was some law that you cannot ship a queen. And because you can't sh ship a queen... Well, yeah, I saw aliens. Yeah, you, they, they, they die. Okay. And there was some breed of ant that um, could dig in the day, and so in the light, and mm -hmm. so that was the one that specifically did. But um, You oh, are a fountain of knowledge. That Well, I've been doing this for 20-some yeah. years. <laughs> so that's a great example, though, of intention, because my problem would have been with the ant farm mm -hmm. that I would have knowingly sold kids ants that were going to die in five days. Defective ants. Well, natural ants. Sure. That's, that's nature. Okay. You, you give, defective product though. Come on. And no, no. Well, defective marketing defective because marketing. you're making them look like they're going to be the next civilization. That's going to go to the moon. Hey, I kept my sea monkeys alive for a decade. A sea monkeys is another one, which I still think was just, you know, like 
I think they just put sand in That's an envelope, what I'm saying. dude. It was just like, it was just like <laughs> dried not... onions or something because all it is is, is, is the current made it go around. Right? You know what? We should do uh, we should do some research because I bet a lot of those companies back in the day that sold that stuff to comic books and stuff like that, but those were shell companies. Fake rock. I stand up and applaud. Oh, or the uh, pet rock. Pet rock. Okay. I'm buyer beware on that one. Yeah. But the ant farm. Like you were, you were telling kids this was going to be like a goldfish. You remember the pictures? You know the totally. ants were doing stuff and, and digging it, tunnels. They, and listen, man, the ant farms—they didn't farm crap. I never got any corn. I never got any soybeans from those ants. They didn't farm nothing. <sighs> Could you turn your ant farm into a Bitcoin? I thought that actually. I've been trying to figure that one out. Yeah, I think we have gone hamsters way actually. But off um, the getting path. back to the ant farm part, I, I, my problem would have been the intention. Hmm. Okay, the beauty of the shell company is. I don't... You don't have I, to have intention. Hey, I'm checking ethics <laughs> in at the door on this one. I'm going to see... I'm going to ride this one out till the end to see what happens on this because, yeah. it's, you know, why not? I learned a lot after the last four rounds of bailouts. I've learned a lot. Yeah, clearly the... the actually, that should be our whole mission. The shell company is so that we can become so big that we cannot fail the next time they bail out the airlines. That's exactly the it. That's it. That is our mission with the shell company is to become so big we can't fail. What was it again? Obtain Shell Company? Obtain Shell Company. Achieve too big to fail status. No, magic. Magic. That's now the magic part. Make profit. Make profit. Okay. Obtain Shell Company. Mm -hmm. Make magic. Make magic. Make profit. In fact, you could have the Shell Company set up so that it only activates when there is federal money being released. I don't want to stand for anything either. I don't. The minute you stand for something, you have to work. don't want to work. Wow, you've you've been in the private sector. They I wanna, expect results. I want to create a company where I make a six-figure salary and I really don't work. And a shell company sounds like a great way to do this. I'm 100% behind this plan. Good. So we're in agreement. We're, let's get two, by the way. You get one, I get one. Okay. And oh, let's have them compete. We need a backup. We need a backup shell plan. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we, need a, we need a plan B yeah. for a shell plan in case our first shell plan. The inner shell. Uh, now we're kind of like those Isn't that what Enron dolls, was. Right? Yeah. It was a collection of shell companies. Yeah, I believe so. In another shell company. Yep. See, I learned a few things. See, all but right. that stuff was all legal back in the eighties and nineties. It was like the wild west for shell companies. Man, you could do anything. And that's why we need to just buy the infrastructure because so many people get caught up on the product. So many people get caught up on the integrity. So many people get caught up on the merit of how business works. Ethics. Not the case with the shell company. You're telling me they can be positive, but whatever, man. I... I've never heard, seen that in the media, but if, <laughs> if, if that's the case, I, I believe you because, right. you know, the internet told me so. All right. We went way past our, no, not too bad. We're all, we're just over a little bit here. So when we come back, it's going to be candy crush. We're going to find out, did Mikey's head really blow up during that pop rocks craze when he had a, was it, was it a diet Pepsi he drank with pop rocks or what was the case? It was, was that uh, yeah, yeah. Mentos and Coke? No, I think I, it was diet Pepsi. It was. Okay. So, I'm, so. I'm, I'm not mixing my metaphors up here yep. in my pop culture. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Actually right. you are, you are skillfully evading the Mandela. We're going to crush it in our next segment because we're going to talk about candy. All right, we better put that Reese's away in case Reese shows up. All right, folks, it is the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. That is Sterling. My name is Jason Spies. You're listening to the Crude Life Media Network. Because you're my pineapple, baby, let me be your mango man. 
Sponsored in part by... If you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them, Swan Energy wants to talk to you today. Give them a call at 866-539-0860. That's 866-539-0860. Swan Energy is buying up natural gas leases, and they may buy yours too. Give them a call today. Play hard, work hard. Welcome back to the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. My name is Jason Spees. That is Sterling. We're going to now talk about a little candy crush. But first, we forgot to mention our sponsor in the last segment. So we should probably do that real quick. Go ahead. Yeah, this is a big shout out to Elite Energy Services. Hey, thanks, Elite Energy Services. Now, they're a family-owned company, and they've been operating process improvement of equipment, basically. The fire tube. The fire tube. And they're out of the Bakken down in the Permian, so they got a couple different locations. Uh, I know Derek Allen, met him many times. Oh, we got somebody calling in on the bat phone here. Boy, it's a busy morning it's a busy all morning of a sudden. Here. So We're popular. Anyway, the uh, uh, eliteenergyservices.org. Eliteenergyservices.org. Their primary focus was oil and gas maintenance and environmental remediation. They identified a problem with fire tube failures. The company took the initiative to develop a cutting-edge solution. That's where the fire tube came into play. We just wanted to give them a big shout-out. Thank you. Appreciate you being our sponsor today. By the way, folks, all of our sponsors are available at thecrudelife.com. Click on Sponsors, and we have all of our sponsors there. You can certainly take a list, uh, look at the list, and if you'd like to be one of the sponsors, email studio at thecrudelife.com. That's studio at thecrudelife.com. Also, our newsmaker interview Coming up, U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer. Our phone line sponsor, where Kevin Kramer will be speaking, is Swan Energy. Thank you, Swan Energy, for being our phone line sponsor. Moody River Band is our house band. And what do we got here now? Candy Crush time. All right. Are you ready? I am ready. I want to hear more about this Pop Rocks. Do you got it or do I got it? You got it, right? I got it right now. All right. So yesterday, I mentioned that uh, in just kind of passing, like I do, because I'm a wealth of information. I mean, I've interviewed thousands of people, actually. Thousands of people over my career. You must be you great know? on Trivia Pursuit Night. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually very good at yeah. that. And so I know a little bit about a lot. And I just remember the whole Pop Rocks thing. Because I 10 years ago, I interviewed a guy... It was, it was on pop culture business. And it was just weird phenomenons in pop culture that affect business. The Nancy Reagan uh, war on drugs. This is your brain. This is your brain on drugs where they took an egg and they cracked it on a frying pan. That devastated the egg industry. Yeah, I didn't eat eggs for years. Like after overnight, that. people thought 
eggs were drugs, okay? Or brains. And so yesterday we're talking about the Mandela effect. Well, today, you know, we're going to kind of do a little fact checking on something I just kind of out there yesterday. Our own Mandela effect. Yeah, which was, you know, I I gave the example, Mikey from, hey, Mikey, he likes it. Old 70s, 80s commercials, very iconic still to this day. There was a rumor when I was a kid that Mikey had eaten uh, Pop Rocks, Mm -hmm. drank a diet Pepsi. Specifically, I remember- Coca-Cola now. I just looked it up. But he drank a diet cola and his head blew up. (laughs) Okay. The Mikey character. Now that would have been an interesting commercial. And his head blew up. He likes it. And that was the whole thing. So- my parents actually wouldn't let us eat Pop Rocks yeah. for a while. And they, well, they, they even knew it was fake. You know, and that's a uh, General Foods owns Pop Rocks, right? General Foods that does just about everything you can think of. Oh, they of. do? Okay. Yeah. So what's the history? Tell well, us a little so, bit. Yeah. After that, uh, in the 70s, when that, that rumor came out, the uh, uh, Food and Drug Administration actually released information saying, hey, this does not cause children to explode um, or choke. Uh, General Foods sent open letters uh, to school principals to parents things like that they they basically faced for almost a decade the persistent rumor that excess pop rocks plus soda equals an exploding gut the reason it probably came up to you right away and the reason you probably remembered it so so clearly was uh it was actually the very first episode of mythbusters if you remember that they actually did an experiment to see with a pig stomach if they could get it to explode with pop rocks and soda I do remember Mythbusters, but I never did really watch the show. I've only seen a couple shows of Mythbusters, actually. The one I watched was a, a Breaking Bad one to see if the gun could actually go through. Oh, the um, automated gun there? The automated yeah, gun. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, go on with uh, the... Yeah, so uh, they did an experiment, you know, and, and it did not cause the pig's stomach to explode. Although, interestingly enough, it did grow to three times its initial size when they used six uh, packs of Pop Rocks. So, yeah, there's nothing in here that I've been able to see that how much it affected the business, you know, in terms of a monetary value. But, uh, you know, that's a decade or so of rumor. All right. So here's what I have. All right. You ready? Hit me. Here's my research. And also, I found a few other ones, too. So and we have a little bit of time and I thought we'd talk about other candy origins and bits of information and things like that. Uh, and, And I'll tell you why after we do the Pop Rocks. In 1956, William Mitchell, is that what yours says too? William mm-hmm. Mitchell? Okay, the we match of up Pop there. Rocks. A general foods chemist mm-hmm. was looking for a way to make instant carbonated soda pop by trapping carbonated dioxide in hard candy tablets. One afternoon, he popped some nuggets he was experimenting into his mouth, and it felt them pop. No one at General Foods could think of a use for the substance, so it was shelved for almost 20 years. But in 1975, it was introduced as Pop Rocks. It became the hottest selling candy in history. Between 1975 and 1980, more than 500 million packets were sold. And then in 1980, they suddenly were withdrawn from the market. The reason? A pervasive urban myth that Mikey of life cereal fame had washed down a handful of Pop Rocks with a bottle of soda and exploded. Concerned parents turned against the product. Pop Rocks was reinvented in 1987 
reintroduced in 1987, but sales never reached the 1970s levels. You wonder, in an age before any kind of internet, how did that even start? I often wonder that. Like, was it in a movie? Was it a news story? Was there... Was it a joke in a stand-up on a late-night show? Exactly. Like, How how did that start? How did that carry like that when there was no internet? There wasn't even long-distance phone calls. Right. So it wasn't like when Nipplegate came, (laughs) when people had cell phones and texts were just kind of... Well, yeah, I mean, all of this, it, but it became like a nationwide phenomenon, right. right? It basically tanked the candy for, you know, until it was reintroduced. That's what, according to the research I'm looking at here, yeah. it says that um, 500 million packets were sold. And of course, that's a rough number, but it was the hottest selling candy in history during that time. Yeah, see, I always like nerds myself. Really? Yeah. Did you ever have a nerds blizzard? No. Okay, not only can you see through time, <laughs> but you don't even feel your teeth anymore. Yeah. That's just, they're gone, It's like man. instant diabetes. That's something else. Uh, okay, the one that caught my eye, we're going to do a few more. We got a few minutes here, so I want to I wanna transition into a couple other candy bits, if you will. Some empty calories for your morning. I love it. Reese's peanut butter cups. I've always thought that's funny because there's an apostrophe. Like, who's Reese? Yeah. And why are we eating his cups? And if my, my name is Spies, mm-hmm. okay, and I've always Spies thought about- peanut butter cups? Yeah, and I've thought about, you know, if I was ever changed my name mm-hmm. for whatever reason, you know, because of uh, go to Hollywood or for crime reasons. Sure. You know, there's many reasons you change your name, <laughs> yeah. Saul Goodman, you know, <laughs> Saul Good, man. Uh, I always thought, you know, Reese- because growing up, uh, my name Jason, too popular. Mm-hmm. Spies, everybody called me Spies. So I thought, you know, if I was to change my name, I might just go by Reese. Because Reese and Spies... Kind of a combination there. They sound the same. Sure. So I'd turn. Okay, because if you change your name, if you're Jim Bob Jones, and you change it to Jerry Thompson, mm-hmm. Homer Thompson... <laughs> If your name is Homer Simpson right. and you change it to Homer Thompson, <laughs> it might take you a while to recognize somebody's calling you. Right. Somebody from across the room, hey, Jerry, and your name is Jimbo Jones, you might not turn your head to Jerry right away. Why would you ever change your name from Jimbo Jones or Jason Spies? You win the lottery. Okay. Yeah, then I might change it. I'm saying there's a lot of reasons yeah. why. It's yeah. not just fame and crime. There's other reasons. But... Reese, Spies sound the same. So sure. anyway, there's so a So back proof. to Reese's. Yeah. Reese's peanut butter cups. Did, did people fall asleep? Okay. <laughs> H.B. Reese was an employee of Hershey Chocolate Company. And in 1923, he quit and opened his own candy factory in the same town. So it is a guy named Reese. And they were, her, they were his peanut butter cups. They were cups. his cups. So if he ever comes back, give him your cups. Yeah, he's going to be pissed. He's going to be like, those are my cups. <laughs> That's what I said. I've always, you know, wanted to change my name to That's Reese. That's cool that he invented it and he got to put his name on it. That would be a great ad. Like the Kool-Aid man. Yeah. He breaks into an apartment. <laughs> you know, after Halloween, kids are going through their candy. They dump All it right. out. Like some, you know, Scarface drug scene, you know, or just. And then the Kool-Aid man comes in. Where's my Reese's cups? <laughs> Give me my cups. <laughs> All right. Craft caramels or caramels. I say caramels because there's an A between the R and the M, mm-hmm. but a lot of people say caramels. Yeah. What do you say? Caramel. Okay. It doesn't matter. It sounds fancy. 
tomato, tomato, either, tomato, either. Tomato. Yeah. Craft caramels, those little squares. I think they, a lot of times they come in packets, right, now mm-hmm. at the store? Yeah. My wife loves them. During the Depression, Joseph Kraft started making caramels. He didn't particularly... He didn't particularly... Bad phone again. He didn't particularly like candy. He just needed another dairy product for cheese salesmen to carry on their routes. (laughs) The product succeeded because grocers needed a summer substitute for chocolate, which melted in the heat. Melted too quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So, and before air conditioning, of course. Yeah. So there you go. There's a smart, clever capitalist figuring out a way to not only leverage his distribution, but also offer additional opportunity to his sales staff Mm -hmm. by giving a new product to the vendor. And using products or byproducts that they already had. It makes it almost tear up watching capitalism work the way it works, doesn't it? Yeah, when it all falls into place, it's a beautiful thing. I would would tear up if tears didn't belong in my eyes. (sighs) They don't don't belong in your manly man cheeks. Jujubees. Oh, I used to love Jujubees at the movie. I would always get a Jujubee at the movie. You? No, never. Those things get stuck in your teeth they for do. days. Probably why I have a tooth that got cracked. <laughs> Named after the Juju Berry. Jujubee Berry, which grows in the tropics. Isn't clear why the Jujubee isn't an ingredient in the candy. Huh. It's just a name thing, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, the it guys, sounds cool. The guy's like, Jujubee. Juju. Let's do it. Yeah. So that's where it came from is the jujubee berry. Pez, you know much about Pez is the last one and then we can move on unless you've got a candy that you'd like to talk no, about. No, but I love Pez. I know people that collect them. That's a big deal, isn't yeah, it? It's a huge, huge market. Invented in 1927 by Edward Haas, H-A-A-S, an Austrian anti-smoking fanatic who marketed peppermint-flavored Pez as a cigarette substitute. The candy gets its name from the German word peppermint. Pfefferminz? I don't, I'm not... No, I, no. I'm German, but I apparently don't know how to pronounce German words. Haas brought the candy to the United States in 1952. It bombed. So he reintroduced it as a children's toy, complete with cartoon heads and fruity flavors that kids liked. One of the most secretive companies in the United States history. Pez doesn't have a company historian. It won't even come close to what's it? It won't even disclose who currently owns the company. What? Shell company. It's a shell company. Sweet. Okay, maybe we should get that one. It is a shell company. <laughs> it is literally. That's what it sounds That's like what yeah. You, right? it, it's a shell of a company <laughs> that puts the Pez inside of it, and you take out bits of coin, right? Yeah, Bitcoin. We're getting, we're getting existential. Should our here. shell company be Bitcoin? Do we need to? Be, okay. See, there's so much this more to the shell company research. thing. Yeah, this is getting big. Okay, so Pez, I've got probably about six Pez still in their package. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen them floating around here. And then I've got three of them out of their package that I still I actually put on the tree every year. Mm-hmm. I just kind of stick their heads in there. <laughs> Different, you know, you got this Pez head sticking out right. of the Christmas That's tree. Not creepy. That t- what? <laughs> One Skeletor, actually, yeah. so um, it could work that way. Do you like Pez? Because I do not particularly care for the taste of Pez. I liked Pez when I was a kid, you know, because it was fun. That's br- that's the brilliance. It made, you know, it, it was candy, but it also came with a toy. Right, and that's a, kind of a cool thing, isn't mm-hmm. it? 
Well, yeah, we grew up in the Happy Meal generation. You know, we're, we're used to getting treats with our toys and toys with our treats. My sister collected them for years. She has display stands that they used to use and packaged ones, unpackaged ones, Star Wars ones, you name it. All right, let's do a couple more here. I want to do a couple more before we get to it. All right, ready? I'm ready. Three Musketeers. When Three Musketeer bars were introduced in 1932, they consisted of three flavors. Guess. Chocolate. Mm-hmm. Strawberry. Yep. Vanilla. Correct. They were labeled the Three Musketeers, chocolate, vanilla, strawberry, three bars in a package. Eventually, the vanilla and strawberry flavors disappeared, although there's evidence that they weren't ever particularly important flavors. I don't even understand why that's a sentence. They just went away. Okay, uh, a 1933 notice of judgment from the acting secretary of agriculture describes a shipment of the treats that was seized in part because the strawberry and vanilla bars had no recognizable flavor of strawberry or vanilla and the strawberry (laughs) bars were artificially colored. So that's what that means. So it, the three musketeers actually got flagged by the acting secretary of agriculture in 1933. Well, you so. know, they say there's no such thing as bad advertising. Well, Neapolitan ice cream or Napoleon ice cream or whatever that is. Yeah, that's, Neapolitan. Yeah, that, yeah. What is that? I, you know what? My grandfather used to buy it all the time and you'd go into the freezer and the chocolate part would be gone and the vanilla and the strawberry would be there. Do you remember the candy dum-dums? Oh, yeah. You almost have to wonder why that's still a name today. I mean, really. <laughs> sure, in the, right. In, in yeah. the over-PC political culture we live in. So the one thing that I always like to do, like the Cleveland Indians, for example, used to be known as the Cleveland Spiders. Right. And then to honor the very first Native American baseball player ever, they changed their name to the Cleveland Indians. So I like to go back to the origin of things to find out if the intention was to be offensive or not. Mm-hmm. So, and a lot of times it's not, but you know, the Cleveland Indians went a little overboard with some of the mascots and, you know, they've, they kind of abused the name. So, well, they, they leaned into what they had as, yeah. A and, and so they went with the times yeah. and everything like that. So I, but whatever. So dum dums, let's go back to dum dums. Mm-hmm. What do you think the intention of the original name behind Dum Dums was for a candy for kids. I'm guessing it actually has some reference to something important at the time. Okay. According to the Spangler Candy Company, the manufacturer, the name of the Dum Dums, was chosen because it's a word any child could say. Dum Dum. That's it. Just It's any word it's easy. any child could say. Think about that. Dum Dum. Yeah. Yum, yum. I mean, yum, yum. Dum, it's like dum. the first word. Right. Genius. Yeah, why don't they just call mama? What do you want? Dum, dum. Oh, you want a sucker? You want mamums? Genius. Make it look like a pacifier. Another possessive candy bar is Heath. I like the Heath. I've never had a Heath. Oh, it's toffee. Never. Get stuck in your teeth. Yeah. If you don't like jujubes, you won't like Heath. I'm not a big candy guy. 1914, L.S. Heath decided to buy a candy company and soda fountain so his children could have a good career. Ha. Several years later, the family got to hold a toffee recipe from a traveling salesman by a nearby Greek candy maker and made them famous, especially after they started supplying candy to the troops in World War II. So apparently supplying the troops to World War II took off, but it's a guy named Heath that bought a candy and soda cup company and gave it to his kids. He was looking at a future for his kids. You ever wonder about Hershey? Uh, no, but I have been to Hershey, Pennsylvania. I have too. 
Milton Hershey had worked for years in various candy businesses, but it was in Denver that he came across the caramel recipe that would become a massive hit. Not resting on his laurels, he learned of a new European craze for milk chocolate, and he brought it to the masses in America. Nice. So Hershey's got its start with caramels. Yeah. In Denver. I didn't know in Denver. No, I didn't either. Yeah. I thought it was all in Pennsylvania. I did too. So, all right, let's do one more, and then we'll get going. Do you want to do Jolly Ranchers, Kit Kat, Milky Way, or Lifesavers? I want to know more about Jolly Ranchers. All right. When William and Dorothy Harmonson set out to Colorado. Another Colorado. So when William and Dorothy Harmson set out to Colorado, their goal was to start small farming ranching operation. More of just small farming ranch, actually. Eventually, they decided to open up an ice cream parlor named the Jolly Rancher, evoking both Western hospitality and the Jolly Miller, a hotel in their native Minnesota. Oh, wow. We're That's all an obscure connection, huh? Quite all over the board here. Yeah. The story goes as the sales declined in the winter months, the Harmsons decided to add candies to their menu, which soon outstripped the popularity of all their other offerings. So natives of Minnesota took name of a hotel named the Jolly Miller, combined it with Western hospitality, Jolly Rancher. And that's how they became That's amazing. I love those things too. Had no idea about the history of them. Well, all right, we'll do one more. Lifesavers. Fairly self-explanatory. They're broadly shaped like a lifesaver. Any rumors of the hole existing to prevent a choking death has no merit. I never knew that. I didn't either. I did not know that. Interesting. Okay, well, there you go, folks. Have you almost, I've almost choked on those before. No, I never have. No, you're just not trying hard enough. You know, a little bit more on this uh, site, by the way. I'm on metalfloss.com for, I want to do one more of the Hershey's. Not the Hershey's, but the Reese's. Reese's started out working for Hershey's Chocolate Company in 1916 as a dairy farmer, but after leaving and returning to Hershey's a few times, he set out to do his own company. The great peanut butter cup inventor was supposedly inspired by a store owner that told him that they were having difficulties with their supplier of chocolate-covered peanut butter sweets. So basically, here's a great opportunist. He, He went and did his due diligence working for a company, Left the company, okay? And this is like in the 70s, why they made you sign intellectual right. property Yeah, non-compete clauses okay. and things like so that. So Reese yeah. went and worked for Hershey's, saw the operation, left, failed, went back to what he knew, said, okay, I need to do this, but I'm going to make a better one than what my competitor is doing. That's capitalism. Yeah. Because he was going to do it better with a place that had a opening in the marketplace. And so what did he find out? He found out from a vendor, a supplier, where a need was. And that need was chocolate-covered peanut butter sweets. So Supply and demand. Reese did not decide to go after Hershey and, and say, I'm going to do a better caramel. Because remember, we just learned, you know, he, learned, he made his money off caramels. Right. He didn't say, I'm going to do a better milk chocolate. No, I'm going to create my own path with the knowledge I learned from my predecessor, my mentor, whatever you want to call it. And you know what? I don't. Did Hershey get mad? I have no idea. I'm, I don't know if there's lawsuits. There or probably what. was, right? Who knows? Yep. But to me, that's a great example of a smart, clever capitalist who leveraged his experience. 
Okay, not as assets, not as resources, because sometimes if you're penniless, the only you resource have. you have is your experience. That's right. That's what you trade with. So I'd like to just end on that little, I call that a positive note. Oh, heck yeah. That's innovation. It is, because that's the beauty of America. Really, it is. The beauty of America, the way I was taught, is if, you're, if, you're, if you are penniless and broke, that doesn't mean you're poor. Because if you've got an idea... And an idea is all you need to create capital and resource and momentum. And at that point, you can do whatever you want. And that's what the good old guy, I love Reese's, still my favorite candy. (laughs) So, all right, folks, that is Sterling. My name is Jason Spies. We just crushed it during this candy section here on, oh, your bat phone's going now, too. Mine's going, oh, boy, folks, we got to go. Here it is, the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard here on a Wednesday morning hump day. The Crude Life, play hard, work hard, is sponsored in part by... If you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them, Swan Energy wants to talk to you today. Give them a call at 866-539-0860. That's 866-539-0860. Swan Energy is buying up natural gas leases, and they may buy yours too. Give them a call today. The Industrial Forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're in Interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Welcome back to the Crude Live Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. We're still in hour one. And it's play hard here, and we're going to get into some news, rumors, and newspeak. Because you never know what we're going to get into, because a lot of times we read the news, but then we comment on it. Everybody gets mingled together pretty soon. Jiff peanut butter becomes Jiffy peanut butter, and Jiff pop becomes Jiffy pop, and all kinds of... We got kids getting their heads blown up with pop rocks. <laughs> all kinds of things happen, so we're going to try to... Bring things that. back down to earth here. Oh, no, we're adding to it during the <laughs> yeah, first hour, we're, man. About we're just news. sitting around having coffee, talking about the news, what's happening today. So uh, generally, we try to stick to news uh, with the oil and gas industry. Third one sometimes is outside of the oil and gas industry. And then uh, we just kind of pay attention to what's going on. So what do we got going 
What are the top news stories according to, what do we do, a Google search or a Yahoo search? No, we did Ask Jeeves today. <sighs> is Ask Jeeves still around? Should be. Should be. No, this one actually popped up really close to the top. A uh, third of oil and gas workers faced pay cuts in 2020 due to the pandemic, a survey shows. Almost one in three workers in the oil and gas industry faced pay cuts in 2020. A worldwide survey showed on Tuesday as the corona crisis drove down fuel demand and prices. That's a lot of people worldwide. So let me get this straight. The story is about one third of the oil and gas industry getting pay cuts. Yeah. Okay. Now that is really misleading and they're not trying to be. They're not trying to be. But here's why. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? I'm bom, ready. Bom, bom. Are you ready for this? Truth bom, bomb. Don't. All right. There is more to the oil and gas industry than what they're recording. The example I like to give is trucking is transportation, mm -hmm. but there are trucking companies that are specifically oil and gas. Yeah, that's their so, bread and butter. So they're in the mining industry, but they're classified under transportation. The crude life is classified under communications, mm -hmm. uh, media, if you will. We're not considered mining, okay? So what they're talking about are people that are working for operators on the most part, yeah. okay? Some of the supply chain, yeah, but not all the supply chain, and certainly not the community businesses, not the grocery stores. Yeah, the that downstream in, from right. that, exactly. So there's that side of it, the impact side. Secondly, there was a number of layoffs that happened before the coronavirus, mm -hmm. and then there was a number of layoffs that happened when the coronavirus came, and then there was a number of layoffs that happened last summer, and then there was a number of layoffs that just happened right before Christmas right time. Right before Christmas, yeah. So you've had four to six rounds of layoffs, depending on which number and which news source you want to get at, that is that included? With the one-third getting pay cuts? No, at least not as, as far as I can see. They're talking about 30% of professionals... Industry-wide, it's all a fall in pay last year. Okay. So some of the research they're doing there is probably through the Petroleum Councils, too. That's what it looks like. Yeah. Okay, because the Petroleum Councils and, and those associations really do have one of their strengths is, is that they can break through the different industries okay they can break into the transportation the communications and mm -hmm. in a number of different things um so that does help and that does bring that number a little bit more accurate okay yeah. however like i said a lot of times the, the the community services aren't and then there's also people that rely on the oil and gas industry that maybe are not members of those organizations because they either can't afford it or if they're in one, they got to be in 15 of them. And all of a sudden that number, again, it becomes a cost issue. So yeah. the uh, chief executive for air Swift, uh, Janet Marks was quoted as saying that based on our, our knowledge and insight into the shale market in the United States, this was one of the hardest hit areas in the world for the pandemic. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. And then you have new regulations coming into place and then you have yeah. the new social regulations coming into place. So they're getting hit from a lot of different areas. The oil and gas industry is getting beat up left and right, yep. no matter how they look at it. Yeah. And that actually leads right into the next one I was looking at from the Austin American statesman. They're talking about oil and gas groups to the Texas lawmakers 
year's new taxes will hurt the rebound. Okay, so new news story. Let's uh, bum, 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 bum. all right. What's the new news story? So apparently Sterling's taking over this. Well, no, no, here, it's, you led right into it because you're talking about how taxes will infect it, right? So we've got uh, Todd Staples, president of the Texas Oil and Gas Association, said calls for increased taxes on production, known as. Uh, severance taxes severance taxes should be resisted during the 2020 legislative session as should environmental regulations that aren't rational and based on what he called firm science this is going to be an interesting fight going in on a lot of different levels because at the end of the day the the federal government just printed like seven to ten trillion dollars basically in the last year okay now last time i checked that means they have to they borrowed that money so they need to go put taxes in in order to get that money from the people. Right. Okay? Yeah. That's the idea, right? It's the robbing Peter to pay Paul. Whatever. But that's that's the basic synopsis of it, okay? Yeah. Most of this money from, again, from what I gather, went to corporations and government employees, okay? So when most of your money is going to um, – Government employees who are are recipients of taxes, they don't generate taxes. They're recipient of taxes, and then they contribute to user taxes. Mm -hmm. But the whole small business world and corporate America through their employees, because a lot of times the corporations don't necessarily pay a lot of corporate tax, but they have so many employees that pay taxes. Do you see what I mean? That's one of the advantages of corporations is because they got a ton of people that pay a ton of taxes. Whereas the government has a ton of people that just accepts taxes. Okay, if you're a government employee, if you're a police officer, a school teacher, a lunch lady, a staffer on a senatorial mm-hmm. staff, you are a recipient of tax dollars. That's oh, yeah. how your job is funded. And I think we've gone away from that a little bit. So when I'm hearing what Staples is talking about, where he's talking about basically, let's not be raising taxes on oil and gas. Yeah. Well, well there's being there be like in North Dakota, you got fifty to sixty percent of the state budget tied to yeah. oil and gas taxes. Well, and you're t- yeah, and that's a whole nother discussion. And that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You see what I mean? To yeah. where you can't be putting any more burden on this industry because there's not much more burden that can be done. No, and that's that's kind of my fear is that with the in the environmental social pressure That's where I'm getting at. with combined with the pandemic pressure combined with the the lack of demand it's it's basically it's kicking while they're down, right? Cuz they're talking about in Texas right now they're at the lowest rig count in 50 years. Right. That are active. So right? when when you think about that, mm-hmm. that means their state economy is probably at its lowest in 50 years now yeah, considering how much is tied into that with the oil, the in oil and gas yeah. industry and you just said it with elite energy services our sponsor today mm-hmm. that opened your eyes once again at how vast the supply chain is yeah from the bakken down to texas and yeah but just the fire tubes yeah. you're like whoa what's a fire tube yeah. what's this all about cool i want to work in this it got you excited okay and then we had uh the the texas energy alliance president on jason modulin last week and here he's talking about what 2400 companies he represents just in texas yeah that are the are with the supply chain okay so if you're at your lowest rig count in 50 years that means texas economy has got some problems okay 
because 50 years, think about that, 50 years. And it's being propped up right now by the government. The government is putting money into the system so nobody understands that the rig count is at its lowest in 50 years. That's all I'm trying to say. Well, yeah, and if you then you start uh, laboring new taxes and new regulations on top of that, it's like how do you ever get out of that slump? I mean, it just sounds like what you're going to do is you're going to basically put a lot of operators out of business. I have no idea. The only thing I can think of is that if you decide the next round Mm -hmm. of bailouts, not to do any bailouts. Okay, what does that mean? Does that mean the government does not get paid anymore? Does that mean the PPP money doesn't get paid anymore? Does that mean the unemployment money doesn't get paid anymore? Okay, if that's what that means... Well, I don't see the bailout stopping anytime soon. Yeah. Well, they're already talking about a third round. But that's what I'm saying is that at what point do we say, well, we've just borrowed 15 generations into oblivion. For what? In a year and a half, we did that? That's incredible. That seems pretty remarkable, doesn't it? Well, it's a remarkable year and a half, too. You know, I would think. Yeah. But, you know, know, I mean, look at this. they're talking about in November in Texas, there was only a only 191,000 Texans that were directly employed in the industry. That includes oil and gas extraction, right? That's 50,000 fewer than the year before. 50,000 fewer people go into the local shops, go into the gas station, washing the car, you know, pumping money. pumping money into the economy. And these are good paying jobs. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, they were talking about how North America, you know, an American in general has the best you know, of the basically of the world when it comes to uh, high paying jobs in the industry. Yeah, but, you know, it, it goes all the way down. It trickles down to the, the guy that uh, makes half his business because people in the industry shop or they come in for lunch or, you know, whatever. I think people are afraid of the free market. I'll be really curious what's going to happen in Texas and what's going to happen in Colorado over the next six months to a year. I, I think we've gotten to a point right now where the too big to fail and some of the bigger companies who have leadership with have never had skin in the game. Mm-hmm. Okay. A lot of the owners and a lot of the founders are either retired or they've got chairman position. You know what I mean? They're kind of in name only. Type yeah. Of thing. yeah. And so a lot of the people who are have taken over. They've never had skin in the game. They've never owned a. They've never owned a business. They have no idea what it means mm-hmm. to go out and actually conjure five thousand dollars out of the thin blue sky. Okay, there's a lot of people who have never had to do that. Oh yeah, you have, I have, and I'm arbitrary. Hundred thousand dollars, million, whatever it is. Right. Okay. Yeah, whether you're working out there and you're beating the street for $1,000 or $100,000, you're still having to put a lot of work into it. The more I'm seeing the way that the leaders are not becoming accessible and the more the more I'm seeing how a lot of uh, private leaders are not becoming accessible, I'm beginning to wonder if they're afraid of the free market, well, if, is, they, if they're afraid of it. Yeah, I was thinking about what Jim Cramer was saying the last time you had him on and, you know, that consolidation. Jim Cramer. I'm sorry. Kevin Kramer. Kevin Kramer. Okay, I thought you meant the bombastic. Yeah, me too. Hey, that, yeah, it was like all of a sudden I was on Money Talk. Or, sell, sell, sell. Yeah, money shouting. Um, <laughs> no, what I was thinking about is, you know, we're talking about the consolidation, right, into four 
oil companies worldwide at some point. Is this not maybe a path to get there? It absolutely right? it is. Right. And then you that's put pandemic I'm, with regulation, with social pressure. Why and, do you think I'm talking about it? Yeah. Because I don't want it to go that way. No, but I mean, it, it seems like it seems like all the dom- dominoes are kind of being set up right now to fall that way over they the certainly next year are. or so. And I, I, what I'm trying to do is make people aware of that because whether they're, it's being done intentionally or not doesn't matter because they are being set up that way. They, they are. Yeah. And it's there. And so when that happens, that's how a slippery slope becomes very slippery. Well, and so, when it happens, it happens fast. Yeah. And, and it, sometimes it's hard to... It, you want to support the operators, the people that are out in the industry that are doing the jobs. But it, like you were saying about the leaders, you don't want to support them. You don't want to support the ones that are inaccessible or the ones that are interested in crowding out the small business. You know, so it's I can understand it's kind of hard. You're, it's like an internal fight. You know, you want to support 99 percent of the people in the oil and gas industry. We'd like to get rid of maybe the top one percent. All I've seen in the past year are a number of examples of leaders who got elected and appointed based on their view of a free market. Mm -hmm. And I've seen a lot of businesses who their previous predecessors spoke about a free market, okay? About less government intrusion, more free market. What I've seen over the past year and a half is the exact opposite. I've seen the people who have ran on a free market are afraid of the free market. And I've seen businesses who have got a new crop coming in are afraid of the free market. Well, you think about if you're if you're coming of age in this time period where government bailouts have become a cyclical every couple of years, whether mm-hmm. it's a it's a depression, a recession, a pandemic, some other global emergency. So, government, you know, either has to step in or we feel like they have to step in. So we never we never get a chance to get used to just being to be able to keep government at arm's length. You know, that's how they get you. And they got us. What else we got? Well, actually, we were going to we were going to stray a little bit into some of the D.C. news, I think now, because I had some some questions after listening to that interview you had with Edwin and Lisa, you know, boots on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We got uh, a lot of emails in about that. By the way, studio at the crude life dot com. If you'd like to send us an email, news tip, guest idea, show topic, whatever it might be. If you want to be a sponsor, we'd love to have you too. Um, Edwin and Lisa were at the Washington, D.C. insurrection Trump rally, and we interviewed them yesterday. And they were, it was a, it was a, I, I enjoyed the interview because the way that I do it is I just let people talk. And you know, the be- what I try to do is, is try not to sway them a certain way. I might agree with them. I might disagree with them. You know, I asked them, you know, are you afraid about being labeled a domestic terrorist? Mm-hmm. You know, things like that, because those are real questions that need to be asked. And his wife wasn't particularly happy when I asked that. But you know what? She was cool with it because she knows everybody else is thinking. Yeah, it. that's that's what's being talked about right now. Yeah. And, yeah. and they're going through a little bit of realities because, you know, they went out there just to support Trump and his message and all this other stuff, they they didn't have any intention of getting caught up in the brouhaha no. or nothing uh-huh. else. And now they're being thrown into it. Well, it was an interesting interview and you could, you know, you kind of got the impression they were a little overwhelmed, I guess, from, you know, still processing oh, yeah. everything that had happened, you know, well, driving like there said, and driving got, back. They, uh, they've been in talks with Trump's legal team about doing affidavits and, mm-hmm. and helping out, just getting... 
And what Trump's doing, from my understanding, is he's just getting as many people to put what they saw on record. And he, he, doesn't, want to, he doesn't want them to say anything mm-hmm. specifically, just what they saw. And, yeah. and then let, let the You know what? Go. I think that's important. Whether we ever have an event like that again, or that was the last time in our lifetime, that is something that will be read about in history. Without and, a doubt. And we live in a time where you've got so many different accounts of what happened visually, you know, with Facebook live streams, with networks there. There's so much, but you, you don't get the story. So that's what's really interesting about Edward and Lisa's. You're talking to people that they, they didn't go there with the idea of storming the Capitol. They went there to support their president. And then what they witnessed, you know, and kind of how they feel about it afterwards. So we did talk a little conspiracies afterwards. Yeah. You know, because we're you not. You can't. It's the elephant in the room. You can't. Well, not. we weren't going to talk about that on the air. Um, I just wanted to get their facts, you know, with what they saw, this mm-hmm. and that. And I, we did get, you know, a little opining from time to time. But t- some of the conspiracy stuff, um, I, you know, I, I got rid of my television in 2007, so I, I don't have a TV. Yeah. And because I don't have a television, I don't have 24-hour news going, and I don't have commercials, and I don't have the view on, and I don't have, you know, I don't have this... That's con- one of the things I really respect about you. You're not plugged into the BS. You know, you're not constantly swimming in that media environment to try to get your ideas. Right, because I've worked in it my whole life... I try to teach, keep my house as my sanctuary, my, right. my fortress of solitude. Yep. And also, I didn't want my son to grow up listening to Bill O'Reilly and Wolf Blitzer, okay? Right. I didn't want my son emulating them. Yeah, I don't need my kids screaming at a television. Okay? I don't want him to say, you know, fair and balanced and all the news you need. Because <laughs> that's what I tell people. Listen, if you bash Fox News, you better bash CNN because... Fox News, I get it. They're not fair and balanced, but CNN does not give me all the news I need either. No. They both have marketing slogans, asshole. So anyway, sorry. Yeah. No, hey, and and not to get into a quick CNN rant, because I do watch CNN from time to time, but basically what they did was go, Fox is doing this and it's successful. Let's be like Fox. So they went all in on pundits all the time. And I've said for years, actually, because... There was a very difficult, well, it's still going on. Media companies can't make money. They're still trying to figure out how to make money. Fox News figured it out, okay? So rather than demonize them, what should have happened is they should have used that model and just kind of changed it a little bit. So maybe instead of calling it news, it's news and opinion or something like that. Just kind of change it because the problem that Fox has and, and, you know, I... And I think most people that watch Fox would agree with this, is that they're more about a point of view than they are about the news, mm-hmm. okay? And and what I mean by that is, is you take a look at any news network, they maybe have 10 minutes of news an hour where they're, yeah, they're, they're kind of reporting. They're almost 99% opinion journalism. Right, and then the rest is, is, is a talk show. Yeah. The rest is opinion. Yeah. So rather than call that news... They should just call it what it is Mm -hmm. and then allow that to happen. You know, it's kind of like some of those super PAC ads and things like that. Rather than get rid of them, just hold them accountable for the things they say. Yeah. And if you hold them accountable for the things they say, the rest will take care of itself. Okay. And don't fall for this BS 
that a chair can also be called an enhanced table. <laughs> a chair is a chair, man. That's the end of the day. I mean, there, there's certain things that I get it, you know, like a blue, sky blue, aqua blue. Right, sure. Velvet blue. Right. Okay, I get that. We can parse some words there. Yeah. But a table is a table. It's like and milk a chair and skim milk. Chair. Just be milk. Turkey turkey pastrami. Just be turkey, man. Yeah, right, yeah. Just don't own your identity. <laughs> don't live a lie. So I'm sorry about that little rant there, but I, I that's one of my pet peeves when somebody bashes Fox News and sticks up for CNN or somebody bashes CNN and fix, sticks up for Fox News. I'm looking at them going, dude, they're the same. Yeah, it's, it's, do you want Coke or Pepsi? Exactly. Because it's about your like. Yeah. That's all it is at yeah. the end of the day. And it's all going to run through you the same way. It's gonna run. <laughs> Absolutely it is. All right. So what do you got for... Your- you know, speaking about conspiracy theories, right? So our good friend Alex Jones... Uh, just yesterday, I think it was here. He's got a clip on Twitter. It's already had about... I got to interrupt you right now. Good friend Alex Jones. I, we, we, we should probably mention that you're being sarcastic. Yeah, I'm sorry. There was some sarcasm. Okay, there. because I, you know, I've yeah. people might think that he's a friend of the program. Or, no, and no, I have no, no problem with Alex no, Jones. No. In fact, Alex Jones, I will say this. Okay, besides being a nut job crazy man, which he that's a character. He's monetized. It. Okay, that's right. He has. Mm-hmm. The one thing that his info wars does do, and I haven't been there for over a decade, so I have no idea, but I used to go and check out Alex Jones because he was one of the only places that cited government documents. Mm-hmm. And I did appreciate that. So like when he was going on a little rant, I didn't care about that. But what I did do is I used it as a portal to get me to the government document right. that he was talking you about. You just didn't stick around for the crazy no. Oh, I don't know. In fact, I, I, I've got an ongoing bet with a friend of mine. Okay. And um, this guy, he he sits and he watches the 24 hour news networks all day long. Oh, I right? think he's calling you now. So no, that's uh, another bat phone call. We got to put that one on hold too. We'll call them back. Okay. that's coming from the DJ basin out of Colorado. But uh, so we got a bet that, uh, Glenn Beck or Alex Jones, which one is going to commit suicide and blow their head off in the air for ratings? Because they're crazy, man. I mean, they, they, it's the passion that they can channel mm-hmm. that is so extraordinary to this extreme Jerry Springer lifestyle we've created to where... Imus, Imus in the morning. Remember Imus? Oh yeah. He that's what he said about Glenn Beck. He goes, I think that guy's just going to commit suicide on the air for ratings. Yeah, if he could get him. And I laughed so hard when I heard that. I thought, boy, that describes Alex Jones too. So anyway, we got to we got to bet which one's going to do it. <laughs> which for one's ratings. actually going to explode? Oh my word! So what's Alex Jones got well, going you know, these days? Um, only in 2021. Uh, but Alex Jones here is disavowing the QAnon conspiracy. Okay, so first of all, without getting into a lot of detail about that, but you know, basically he's he's promoted it. He's had people that promote it on his show, but at this point he pretty much loses it. And I won't go into great detail. You really should watch it for yourself. It's only a minute or so long, but he's sort of the end of this rope, you know, basically saying everything you guys say is gonna come true doesn't come true. You're full of lies. So if you're too crazy for Alex Jones, you really probably need to take a look in the mirror. So QAnon is a conspiracy theory. It's not a group. 
I thought it was a group. You know, I I don't know. You know, kind of like Antifa. I don't think Antifa's there's like a group. A, I don't think there's like a membership role. No, right? Antifa, there's though, not. They, dues they, they are a group though, more than it's a, like a movement. You can associate yourself with a group, right? Yeah. But I don't know that there's like a membership club you can go and look up. Okay, so this has to do with pedophilia and global sex trafficking. Yeah. Okay, that's QAnon. I did not know that. Yeah. See, I, I've heard these words. and See, that's one of the things I really like about your the way you do take in news is you stay away from so much of the noise. And that's all it is. It's just noise. Right. You know, you're uh, the water buffalo guy <laughs> at the Capitol the other day. He's known, I think, as a QAnon shaman. Is what oh, for real? Himself. That's what he calls himself. What yeah. a weird thing to be known as. I know, right? Well, a QAnon shaman. Again, probably some way to monetize that. The shaman of shale play. Maybe that's the problem. The We're shale not crazy play shaman. Enough. Hey. Now, there you go. The we shale play bones. shaman. Lather, rinse, repeat. <laughs> So, yeah, ending on that note. <laughs> so, Alex Jones, to, the, the, the moral of your third news story of the day is that if Alex Jones is calling you crazy, it's maybe time to do some self-reflection. Yeah, we're 12 days into the new year, <laughs> and Alex Jones is already calling crazy crazy. So where are we going from here? I love it. I love it. Hey, man, the great prophet George Carlin said, America's a freak show and you got a front row seat. So enjoy the ride, folks. My name is Jason Spees. That is Sterling. This is the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. And guess what? Coming up next, it is time to play hard with U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer. Folks, that is coming up next. Jason Spies. Thank you for joining the program today. You know, I, I come from an oil background. My family's been in the oil and gas industry for 60 years. I, I think the thing with the younger generation is the younger generation has pretty much bought into the climate change phenomenon. They really believe everything that people tell them. We just want to thank everybody that has been so supportive of us, and especially you, Jason. Without, without your help, I don't think our event would be as successful as it is. So I, I don't want to be real critical of them because being a guy who's, you know, dad has several small businesses and, and coming from that sort of small business background, I get it. I mean, the, the, the operators here were put in a real bad position by the state of North Dakota. I'm glad that we've got people like you to pay attention and bring us information on stuff like this. Prices can't go any lower for services. I, I, they're, they're too low right now. I, our margins are in the single percentage point if we're lucky, and we're not lucky that often. You're exactly right. ESG is becoming more and more important to shareholders. I can speak for my 20 companies. They take it very serious. It makes perfect sense, and I thought you had a really good show last week. Jason, I love your inquisitive questions because you you ask important questions that that lead to the most important truths. Hey, this is Kevin Kramer representing proudly the 
the state of North Dakota in the United States Senate. Talking to Jason Spies, who's like the best energy interviewer in the world. No one does an interview like Jason Spies. We all like living the crude life, so. <laughs> Play hard, work hard. Now let's work hard. Hey, this is Kevin Kramer representing uh, proudly the state of North Dakota in the United States Senate. Talking to Jason Spies, who's like the best energy interviewer in the world. Is that too much? That is not too much. In fact, we might even have to turn that into a promo or something. You know, I, you know, I, someone was just asking me the other day, somebody in politics, because they noticed that I've had a little bit of a decrease of uh, some some uh, politicians on in the past couple of years. And we've focused more on a lot of the business owners and kind of that sure. supply chain, if you will, because... Yeah, interesting people, yeah. Well, you know, it's just that it's just the, you know how the market goes. you got to go where the market is. And somebody asked me, and I said, you know, I, I'd have to put uh, Senator Kramer up there. And they looked at me kind of bizarre, and they go, why? And I said, well, for number one, he's always accessible. And I said, if you look at the last, you know, four, three, four years... It's been like a rare albino elk sighting for a lot of people. You know, they've they've been they've been going and hiding, and you know, some people are having a hard time. You know, with when, when the energy started crashing, and then yep. also when COVID came out. Not you though, not you. No, nope. I said the other reason I like him is because we don't always see eye to eye, and um, we'll have civil conversation, and at the end we'll understand where each other's coming from because we're still. We're trying to get to the same spot, and we always know that. So, anyway, I've always I've, I've put you in one of my favorite politicians through the years, and I've been doing this now for over twenty five years. Yeah, it's amazing for a guy so young. I don't know how you squeeze those twenty five years into such a short time. But um, the thing, Jason, I always and I always tell the reporters here, although I chewed their butts yesterday, the, the media here at the Capitol. But I always tell them we're in the same business, basically, and that is to inform people. Of what we're doing, you know, what's going on in the Capitol. It's just that when sometimes they lose their way and what they inform people of. But anyway, you can only do that by talking to each other, gosh. Well, and you bring up a good point, especially going into 2021. You know, we have a new president now, uh, President-elect Biden, who has been very open about his uh, feelings towards the fossil fuel industry. Uh, we have small businesses just clinging on to anything they can find right now. And, and you know, before you, you th- this kicked in, it was already starting to be a little bit difficult for a lot of the energy industry. So uh, y- you spent a lot of time in the administra- Trump's administration uh, in the energy sector. Talk to me a little bit about uh, what energy companies uh, should know right now and what they should be considering and thinking about going into 2021. No, that's a great question. And, and one thing about, you know, any successful business is you have to look forward and you have to look forward with, you know, realistic um, expectations and, of course, prepare uh, prepare for, for what might be coming. And obviously the, the energy sector is very dependent on uh, public policy, all businesses, but, but especially energy, and especially when you're a net exporter like we are now as a country, that means geopolitics matters and so clearly they have to be preparing for a biden harris administration and we should have some you know some sense of what that looks like because you know of the playbook from the obama biden administration and it already looks at this very early stage like the biden harris administration is going to look a lot like obama biden because some like 75 percent of the people that he's announced that he's going to nominate for for offices in the cabinet um 
you know, worked in some capacity for the Obama-Biden administration. And, and I'm not criticizing that, I'm just stating that as a fact. So, I, you know, we do have some sense, I guess, based on history. And, of course, remember during the Obama-Biden administration, there was a lot of sue-and-settle tactics between the agencies and the environmental groups that were then followed up with uh, by stringent regulations, often beyond their legal jurisdictions. And then they'd also slow walk every permit you know, possible. And so the federal government has a lot of control, everything from tax policy to uh, environmental policy, and not even just the policies themselves, and we can talk about that in a little bit, but, but how these policies are administered, how rules are enforced. It's not just the regulation, it's the regulator. And, and so there's lots of ways they can slow walk things. So when the Trump administration came in, for example, the North Dakota Bureau of Land Management had one of the highest APD backlogs in the country, that, that's applications for, for permits to drill. And for the oil and gas industry, it's, it's really clear they'll immediately go after methane regulations for new and existing sources and some type of prohibition to lease and drill on federal property. Now, one of the reasons the Bakken took off you know, much bigger and faster than other plays, besides the fact that it's a very oil-rich play, is that a lot of North Dakota is not, on, uh, is not owned by the federal government. But we also know that much of the heart of the Bakken is on, on federal property. And so, uh, you know, some type of a prohibition to lease uh, or, and or drill on federal land will be a really big issue for North Dakota. And, um, you know, we, we also know that there's about, uh, I guess Lynn Helms is saying, there's about 48% of North Dakota's spacing units that have some amount of federal minerals. So even if it's not federal land, we do know that with our unitizing and whatnot that, that, that there's a lot of, federal minerals, and, and 48% is quite a bit. It's a substantial amount that, that you will lose access to. And that means a, a lot of lost revenue for neighboring mineral owners and governments. Uh, um, production for our, our economy still largely utilizing oil now and many years into the future. So, Let me just um, jump in for one second. I just yep. want to paint a, a picture for somebody out there that maybe isn't following that. Is Basically what we're talking about is that you know you could start drilling on your specific area but because these laterals go several miles underground horizontally you could be entering into a federal type of a, a jurisdiction if you will we just had kathleen skama on she's the uh, president of the western energy alliance and that is a yep. big deal out west of course you start yes. you, you you get west of uh, the black hills and about every other foot is federal land in some way or another so it, it, it becomes a little bit tricky. And that's interesting to hear about North Dakota having it. I didn't know it was that high. I didn't know it was that high. Yeah, so when you think of 48%, and, and what Lynn is saying is that so 48% of our spacing units have some amount of federal minerals. So, so it's, it's not 48% is federal. It's 48% of the units have some amount of federal minerals. And, and what, what that means is, to, to the illustration you just pointed out, that, that means that you could lose, companies could lose access to, you know, um, a resource that's vast majority of which is private, but if there's a little bit of federal in there, um, then there's becomes jurisdictional problems. And, and even if you can, you know, get the right percentage worked out, you know, as an investor, you're going to look at, well, where would it be easier? You know, where would it cost me less? Where is it less hassle? And so even in North Dakota, a federal prohibition could become a really big problem. Um, now, we also have, you know, 
because of politics, we have this Georgia runoff election, you know, the Senate election. And right now, Republicans have 50 Republican senators. There's 48 Democratic senators. And these two will determine whether Republicans or Democrats control. And, and so control is a big thing. But we need that control as Republicans and as pro-energy um, states to prevent any drastic lawmaking that, uh, you know, that would try to satisfy the Green New Deal uh, proponents, for example. So, um, you know, elections have consequences. And, and while a Biden-Harris administration will be able to use their executive powers in, in lots of ways, at the very least, if we maintain control of the United States Senate, we can prevent big policy changes and, you know, additional taxes or, um, you know, like, say, Green New Deal types of legislation. Now, for, from a market perspective, we, we were, you know, the COVID-19 um, pandemic has clearly demonstrated and illustrated and highlighted the vulnerability of supply chains. So it's, it seems like, you know, right now, I think oils, as we record this, somewhere around 46 $47 a barrel. I mean, 50 would be better, but it's a, at least it's much better than it was when it was negative. And, and I think we've seen, you know, we've worked hard. I worked very hard on bringing Saudi Arabia a little closer to in compliance. Um, but but we're, we're bringing oil inventory numbers down with prices improving. But then you have New York and California and Europe announcing more restrictions on their economies and citizens and, and then price, you know, comes back down. Um, the vaccine is hopefully will provide some of what people are looking for to eliminate the COVID-19 restrictions. And then we get activity, get market back. The, the biggest problem we have in the oil industry and to, from a pricing standpoint is that it, it, there's market share, obviously, and in, in that, that uh, demand is way down because travel is way down. I travel every week, as you know, and so I, I can see it pretty clearly. So May 21, I think futures were at 47 uh, a couple of days ago. It's, it's the highest price on the chart. So uh, we've got a little ways to go. Um, but I'd also be watching, Jason, from a policy standpoint, from a geopolitical standpoint, to see what Iran, Russia, Saudi Arabia do and what a Biden-Harris administration would do to, in response because we already know that um, the Biden-Harris administration wants to re-engage Iran, for example. And Iran has already upped their, they've announced what they want to do in terms of upping their production once the sanctions are lifted. And Iran, you know, becomes a pretty major player, pretty major competitor. Saudi Arabia has been playing okay since they pulled off the, you know, uh, the bait and switch on us with Russia here earlier this year, which caused this firestorm. And, you know, I, I will just gladly tell you, I now have the cell number of the Saudi Saudi princess who is the ambassador <laughs> to the United States, and we talk pretty regularly. So we, are, we have a little friendlier relationship now, but um, you know, if they decide to turn the spigots back on, uh, we could be in a lot of trouble. So um, production is, I think, around 11 million barrels per day, which is up from 9.7 million at a slow in August, but it's down from 13.1 a million barrels per day, it's high in, in February, March. So we're going to see how these nations play and, and um, you know, politics matters. Well, there's certainly the demand in energy isn't going away. And when you look at China's population, the majority of them, by the way, are aging uh, with the one child policy they've had for a long time. India's right. growing. You've got the United States baby boomers. They outnumber Generation X and, and the millennials pretty good. So that, you know, the baby boomers are aging. The, pot, the, 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 globe is, the globe is aging. And so 
the healthcare facilities, they're going to need more uh, energy. And if you go take a look at any municipality, generally it's emergency services and healthcare facilities that make up most of your power grid. Uh, with that being said, I, I just I look at the the world of business and some of the you know regulations that we were talking about. There was a a gentleman, uh, Ray Scott, out of Colorado. He's a uh, House uh, Senate over there on uh, Grand Junction, I think District Forty Five. Yep. Maybe I, I, I've met. In fact, I had lunch, breakfast with him once in Grand Junction. Was there on behalf of um, the Trump campaign four years ago, doing an energy. Okay, event. he he was on about uh, February this time last year or this year, and he made a great comment, which is the market isn't the issue, legislation is the issue. And I thought that was such a great comment because. You know, there is a demand out there for a better quality of life, whether it's from heating our homes or driving our vehicles or getting our goods and services delivered, especially now, to our doorstep. Right. Uh, What's missing with this administration? What's not connecting with a lot of uh, some of the environmentalists? I saw North Face came out and said, hey, we don't want to have anything to do with fossil fuels anymore, but, you know, we'll certainly take your orders and deliver them to you. You know, the hypocrisy <laughs> is just getting out there. Yeah. No, the, the, Jason, there's such a disconnect. Um, it, the, part of the problem is you take a North Face as an example or any other major retailer or distributor of some type, um, and I deal with this in the banking side in, in a big way, big, big way. I have, I'm always fighting the, the major banks trying to remind them of their obligation to provide capital to legal businesses and not make these decisions, investment decisions, based on political pressure from, from other folks. But all of that, whether it's political pressure, whether it's, it's um, you know, pressure from environmental extremists or, uh, you know, even, even in, uh, you know, proxies and proxy wars that a lot of these companies have to deal with, um, it all creates some... Market it either distorts a natural market. Well, usually that is the case. It'll distort a nat- nat- uh, natural market. So it's clear that that some of these companies are responding to that. But to, to the senator's point, um, to Ray's point, you have you also have uh, policy that weighs in on that. Policy can either clear the way for a free market, or it can distort markets with with regulations and, and tax policy and credits. And so we all have to be working on that. I think to the point of um, the market, you know, it's not so much about demand. There is a demand shortage as a result of people not traveling. But on the trucking side, you're exactly right. As there's less and less uh, small town Main Street retail and there's more and more box store um, Amazon, uh, there still is a, you, you need to move product. And so there is a disconnect. There's a hypocrisy that is very rich. And I think to the degree we can do it, and you know, folks like you do it very well, provide a forum to point out that hypocrisy and bring people back to a, a more reasonable discussion about things that matter to them, whether it's traditional air pollution or greenhouse gas emissions, you know, the methane versus, you know, CO2, um, you know, what's reality in terms of grid reliability, uh, clean coal technologies and innovations that are every bit as, as emission-free as others and, and better for the grid. These sort of in-depth discussions of science and technology, absent hypocrisy, um, can be very valuable. It's just that there are very few forums today where that happens. 
Concluding here with U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer. Appreciate the time today. I wanted to wrap up with kind of a probably the toughest question we have today because it's, you know, industries going went through a lot in the last year to the tune to where we started seeing some some government intrusion. Uh, in Texas, they, even the Railroad Commission met several times about controlling production. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, we, we, we tried to talk about this a little bit, and it's a sore subject. Uh, that's why I wanted to have you kind of kind of referee it a little bit or talk about it a sure. little bit, because it is, it's, it's, it, it's at a crossroads. Let's put it this way. Uh, Mike Summers from API, the president of API, I'll never forget this story came out about the Texas Railroad Commission stepping in control and production. And I swear to you, that reporter didn't even finish the sentence and he was already saying, government stay out. You know, that was the old school <laughs> way. Government stay out. Yeah, right. Well, then about a week later, you had Matt Gallagher, uh, CEO of Parsley Energy, pop up on CNBC talking about, well, maybe we should have the government step in and control production. And I thought, well, that's pretty good for you, man, because you're one of the big guys. But the little guys who are out there hustling, they're probably going to get left out. Well, then a few you know, months later, and by, by the way, Matt was scheduled to come on the show here. And then all of a sudden, he just they, they, his, his people just ghosted us. Well, then they sold. And I thought, okay, well, the frac sand industry just sharpened their pencils again for the fifth time in the last six years. Yeah. The truckers, I don't even want to get into the truckers, how they've sacrificed. Uh -huh. And I'm pretty sure, you know, we, we've heard a lot about a lot of these executives getting bonuses and not having to face the music and a few other things. And I thought, this is a really good example why accessibility is important. So again, thank you, Senator Kramer. But again, it kind of demonstrates how the government can kind of pick winners and losers without even trying. It's just there's certain ways and certain businesses are already in motion that need to be saved sometimes. And that's difficult for a lot of people to understand. But I thought that was a great example of how Mike Summers immediately came out and said, no, the market will take care of it. Well, then it got to the point to where there was so much intrusion here and there that what was the what was what was the market now? What was it? So, talk to me a little bit about how we can navigate going into next year, where the industry isn't really sure how to handle when the market steps in. Because by the way, North Dakota, it's working great, and in Wyoming, it's going great, and in Texas, I don't even think they really pulled the trigger on it, but it caused some problems. So, do, do you know what I'm talking about? Are you following me? I, I, I do. I do know yeah. what you're talking about, and it is very complex. And part of the problem is, remember, when, when, two things. First of all, remember in the, in the era of scarcity, when the United States was dependent on Middle Eastern oil, Middle Eastern countries, which are not free market countries, they, they're, they're oil states, they're petrol states, they controlled the price. And they, they controlled the price by controlling the, you know, the access to the product, mainly on the supply side. And they dictated to us what we'd be paying for oil and natural gas and, and, and the refined products. Then all of a sudden, you know, in the Trump era, we become a net exporter. We're, we now are energy dominant. So, but, but remembering that there, there are the economics of, of oil out of a, a shale play versus oil out of the sands of Saudi Arabia are different by hundreds of several hundred percent different economically. So you can still suck it out of the sand in Saudi Arabia, put it on barges and send it to the United States, in some cases cheaper than you can produce it in Texas and ship it to Houston. You know, and so you have these, 
you have these market forces, but none of those market forces are completely pure. In fact, they're nowhere near pure. I would submit to you this, first of all, this fundamental, this working theory that I work off of. And, and I would love to take credit for it, but it was former governor George Sinner, who in a speech that I heard once, and I'm sure he said it many times, but I was just a young guy, a young political trying to do everything I could to make sure that people like him never got elected again, in full disclosure. He said something very profound in a speech that I've never forgotten. He said, every sophisticated country in the world will always protect its food supply and its energy supply. Because if you never wanted to be dependent on others for it, and we've done that in this country, we still are, you know, we're 20% of the world's economy, but we're only 5% of the world's, of the world's um, population. But you still, that still means that there's, you know, um, 95% of the world that lives somewhere else. And when you're overproducing, when you're producing like we are, you, you want to have access to all of those other markets. And so now policy and geopolitics enter into it. Never mind the fact that the, that the you know, the main players, the main um, international players in this industry come from very unstable parts of the world. Okay, why do I throw all that as sort of the, you know, sort of the grounding, the, the foundation for it? You, when you're dealing on the international stage, you need government because government matters. We fight wars over oil. At least we used to fight wars over over oil. We don't have to so much anymore. Um, so, so is the market really truly free? Well, during this this time when you're talking to Mike and he's saying, you "No, know, let the market decide. We shouldn't control supply from in the United States." I, I agree with him. But we also have to remember what we should be able to control is how much we still import. So just giving the most recent numbers, on a uh, reference earlier, December 11th, the, the WTI price on the board was about just under $47 a barrel. In North Dakota, the light suite on that same day, it was about 37 so $10 less. But we were still importing, oh, about 336,000, I mean million, 3 million um, 336,000 barrels of oil into the United States. So here we are a net exporter, but we're still importing somebody else's cheaper oil because our refiners, refineries are set up for that. I do think it's entirely appropriate for a country to use its resources to help the domestic supply remain robust. First of all, so we're never dependent on others, especially others that, that, that you know are not our, our allies, but our adversaries. Places like Iran, Russia, um, you know, even frankly Venezuela. So we should never be dependent on them. We shouldn't have to be dependent on them. I do think government intervention in that sense is appropriate. I don't think we ought to, sh you know, force our refiners or our, force our producers to produce less. We ought to make way, make sure that our consumers are using our products first as, as often as possible. And your illustration up front is really an important one. You might recall that in March, I helped organize along with Larry Kudlow, a meeting in the cabinet room in the White House with President Trump. And in that meeting, there were a whole bunch of CEOs of major oil companies and a couple of my colleagues, uh, Dan Sullivan was there from Alaska and Ted Cruz from Texas. And then Harold Hamm and um, uh, one other uh, independent producer from Alaska. 
and Kelsey Warren from, from ETP was there. Otherwise, it was all multinationals. And the difference between a, a domestic producer, exclusive domestic producer like Harold Hamm, versus, and I'll leave out the names of the others, but uh, these multinationals, these multinationals, they have business in all these other countries too. So for them, you know, some of this stuff that we're talking about isn't all that beneficial. There's no, there is no disincentive for them to continue or to, to not produce somewhere else, but instead produce in the United States of America. That was sort of a convoluted explanation of the, of the dynamics. It's, it's woefully inadequate, but I, I worry a lot. I think the independent oil man is worth saving, Jason, at the end of the day. I think that having a supply chain that is, is, that is American, largely American, remember, the, in, the supply chain, the value chain of energy produced in the United States of America includes every single state in our country. Whether it's the financing, whether it's the steel that goes into the pipe, whether it's the, 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 the you know, the little valves that get produced or, or you know, any number of things, of the food, as you, you know, the restaurants, the, the, the uh, retailers. I mean, there's no end to the supply chain for American-made energy, and our economy is directly tied to it in a, not an insignificant way, but in a major way. And so we can all talk about free markets all we want, but remembering that the world does not share our same values, and, and we we are smart, wise, I think, to come up with public policies that knock down barriers to entry, but also that protect the, um, the small, diverse, diverse producers. Here's the problem if we don't do that. Where we'll head and where we'll get eventually, and we're on our way, you'll have like four major global oil companies or oil and gas companies in the world. They'll decide where they're going to drill, and they're going to drill wherever the investment reaps the best reward. And then you lose that entire value chain, the entire supply chain that's so critical to a dynamic economy. And you, we don't want that. You just literally answered my next question because I was going to say the thing about the crude life and the oil and gas industry that really has attracted me is capitalism. And what I mean by capitalism is you can take any old roughneck who's been working any old rig and after 10 years of looking at that same vibrating tube, he's figured out a way because of the way his mind works without a college education, he's figured out a way to make that tube go twice as fast and twice as efficient. Yep. And pretty soon, the company that hired him and employs him doesn't want to steal the idea from him. They want to empower him in his local community. And pretty soon, that roughneck without a college education has 15 employees and a, you know, $1.5 million company, and he's a very good contributor to his local community. And if all of a sudden that guy goes through a little bit of a downturn, well, generally that oil and gas company will do everything it can to make sure that they stay in touch with him and keep him somewhat connected through their connections or something else. Now, they're not into handouts. Don't get me wrong. They're not into handouts. They're, they're into enabling opportunity and also taking care of community building. And that's a part that I have not seen in a lot of other industries is that community building part that the oil and gas co companies seem to do. Uh, with, with I, I call it the last bastion for capitalism, to be honest. That's why I was so um, focused on the Mike Summers and, and the Matt Gallagher complete you know, different dichotomy that's there. Because when you take a look at Texas, 
man, they're still wildcatting down there, okay? North, yeah, North right. Dakota is pretty much turned it into a commodity where they know where most of the oil is and that sort of thing. And they know how to get it. Yep. And they know how to get it. Then you go to Alaska where it's state-owned oil. It's the people own it. And what, do you got two companies up there? Two oil companies, BP and Shell, and that's about it. So I look at just the, the transition of those, and what you said is right, that if we keep going the direction we're going, we will have a handful of companies that control 90 to 95% of the global oil supply. So I just thought that was the Texas to Alaska analogy might be something that people in the United States could take a look at. What do you think on that? I think it's a great point, and I think North Dakota is the perfect laboratory because we do have all of them. We have all sizes, as you know, and and I'll go back to this often. You know, there's a reason North Dakota doesn't allow corporate farming, and we can argue philosophically why why that's good or why that's bad. But the diversity of a network of family farms provides a security that is not provided if you have a bunch of giant corporate farms. The best case scenario, the best illustration probably is in the beef business and the meat packing business where we're now down to four major meat packers. So what's happened as a result of that is uh, the, that lack of diversity means that the rancher doesn't get enough money to earn a living, but the price of a steak goes up. Well, that's exactly what will happen. In, in the oil industry, the, if we get down to a handful of major global producers, they're going to go to where it's cheapest to get the oil. And ultimately, when there are very few of them, and by the way, these are vertically integrated companies that also own the shipping companies, they own the refineries, they own the pipelines, and they own the gas stations. They have their brand on the, on the, their logo on the, on the pumps. There, ultimately, that will lead to a higher price. Stuart Barney asked me one day, he said, but Senator, he said on his show, he said, I kind of like this, uh, you know, $1.50 gas or $2, uh, you know, a gallon gas, don't you? And I said, well, sure, I like it when I'm filling my tank, but I'm not going to like the $6 gas that's going to come when you kill all of the small producers and ExxonMobil gets to decide the global price for everybody. Um, and then all of a sudden you're going to long for $3 gas, which might provide an opportunity for everybody to, to be successful. So it's, um, you know, sort of economics 101, but, uh, uh, you know, our, our, our brand of capitalism, um, can collapse when capitalism is replaced with greed. And we need to be very careful to avoid that. Wrapping up here, who's some of the leaders that uh, the oil and gas industry should be looking out for? Names in the headlines, if you will. Of course, Senator Kramer, you're one of them. You're out there busy as, as can be, sticking up uh, for the energy industry. So who are some of the other ones? Yeah, some of the people I work closely with. Let, let me go to a Democrat first, which is going to seem really strange. But um, Sheldon Whitehouse, who, as you know, he, he, he is a serious, serious climate change <laughs> advocate. He's, he's not for climate change, but advocating uh, that we need to do more for, to, to stop climate change. But, to, but what I like about Sheldon is, and I, and I serve with him uh, on the Environment and Public Works Committee, Sheldon is, he's intellectually honest. Um, I think some of his theories are bizarre, but he's been very helpful in trying to work with us on things like 45Q legislation and rules, and that 45Q is, is a tax credit for carbon capture, utilization, and storage. In other words, um, he wants to see 
clean coal technologies. And then, you know, another uh, colleague of mine on that committee who's a Democrat, Ben Cardin, uh, he's working closely with me on things like um, the appropriate tax treatment of, of, um, of nuclear energy. You know, there are other forms of carbon-free energy than just wind and solar. And so guys like that, you need to, you know, they're, they're people we can work with. Senator Manchin, Joe Manchin, another Democrat, who's on, he's the ranking Democrat in, in the Energy and Natural Resource Committee. He and I work closely together on a number of things. But the real stars in my mind, Senator John Barrasso from Wyoming, I've had the opportunity to serve with him as he's chairman of the Environment and Public Works Committee. Next year, he'll serve as chairman of the Energy and Natural Resources Committee, sit on both committees. He, he has worked very closely with me on a lot of things. Obviously, Wyoming and North Dakota have a lot in common. Uh, Senator Shelley Moore Capital of West Virginia will now become the likely become the chairman of the Environment and Public Works Committee next year. Um, and uh, Tom Carper, the uh, Democrat, is the ranking member. He and I have worked closely together. Again, we don't agree on everything, but we're able to find common ground and, and some uh, um, compromise. On the House side, I was really pleased to see that uh, Kathy McMorris-Rogers from the state of, of Washington became the uh, ranking Republican on the Energy and Commerce Committee. And I know Kathy very well. We'll work closely with her. Uh, Greg Walden, the former chairman and former ranking member, is retiring after this year. So uh, I'd watch for Frank Pallone. He's a congressman um, who's the uh, the ranking, or I mean the, the chairman of the Energy and Commerce Committee. And uh, just a lot of really good people uh, that we work closely with out there. We'll see who the uh, Biden administration puts up for leadership at DOE. And uh, EPA, uh, you know, they'll be more difficult to work with, no doubt. But um, we have plenty of allies to make sure that the, uh, the oil and gas industry remains viable. But the most important thing is that the markets remain viable, that demand remains viable. we got to wipe out this crazy COVID-19 so that people can get on airplanes again and, and go to Disney World and, you know, and we have international travel again. And um, those jet airplanes burn a lot of fuel and they're never going to fly on solar power. Are we at the point where it's going to take the vaccine to get the economy going or... Is it? Uh... Well, it's interesting you ask that. The vaccine certainly will help. And even you know, even some of the other measures. We what we need is for people to feel comfortable um, again, getting in their cars and driving to places. Restaurants have to be open. To, you know, there's no point in driving to a restaurant if it's not open. Um, Disney World needs to be at full capacity, or there's you know, you're never going to have the type of of energy use that you'd have when it's when it's wide open, uh, cruise lines, like I said, you know, airplanes, jets. I mean, we need all of that stuff to be operating. That'll only operate when people are comfortable, or for that matter, when the industries are comfortable um, letting people letting people in, so to speak. So, but a lot of that's driven by mayors and governors, and in my view, a lot of them have been way too restrictive. And uh, it hasn't really worked. <laughs> I know they all point to mask mandates and, and the lockdowns as somehow being successful. And if they were successful, there wouldn't be any COVID-19 in Washington, D.C. And yet Washington, D.C., which has had some of the most harsh restrictions throughout several months now, is at a spike. So, um, you know, the economy has suffered greatly at the hands of, of the virus and more importantly at the, at the unfortunate choices to re- in its response to the virus. Be nice to get some people back out to to That's work good. and um, and everything. I, th- I think I think I think some people are using the uh, stimulus and the the uh, 
desire for another stimulus to stay home. And I think there's a little bit of satiation going on with some people. And if they were not having such easy money that they might be a little more apt to get out into the workplace. Not to downplay the health crisis that's going on, but I think it's uh, there's a little bit of uh, a mixed bag involved there, to be to be honest. But well, there's some perverse incentives that are built in, Jason. No Thank you. Yeah. And we and we shouldn't and we should have learned our lesson the first go around. That's why we're trying to be so careful going forward. You're right. There are people that are really hurting and they need help, and we should be helping them. We, we need to help them. And uh, but there's the best thing for a restaurant and I. I'm happy to help, don't get me wrong, but the best thing would be for them to have customers again, so that ought to be our focus. Let's, you know, let's get people open, let's get people back to work, the greatest stimulus check is a paycheck, and uh, in the meantime, we need to build a little bridge to help them get there. Jason Space. Thank you for joining the program today. If you want to look at America, you go to Permian and the Bakken, and, and that's what America should be, united as one. And that's exactly what we are. And, and then, you know, that's what I love about the oil and gas industry. One county in Kansas, one single county, produced 9% of the world's oil. That was oil that won World War One, As the British said from the floor of Parliament, the Allies floated to victory on a sea of oil. Works picked up here in the Permian Basin. Yeah, leadership really needs to take a look at how we've been doing things and constantly make changes in how we can do things better. Commodities are always, 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 any commodity business, whether it's milk or whether it's oil or whether it's apples, they always are boom or bust because the solution to low prices is high prices, the solution to high prices is, you know, is high prices. It's a big issue. You know, it's kind of red riding hood syndrome here. People making out the industry to be the big bad wolf. And on top of that, you know, you would get a nice increase in pay, as I'm sure most of us all know. When you move to oil field areas, you get a, a nice little bump in pay. After him and I having five margaritas over at the Cork and Pig, I called my boyfriend and I was like, hey, do you want to move to Texas? And he was like, yeah, when, when are we moving? <laughs> and honestly, we moved about a month after that. This oil and gas industry, I've met some of the best people I've ever met in my life doing this. Play hard, work hard. The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Sean Forbes with Oilfield Sourcing about some of the activities happening in the oil and gas industry. This is Sean Forbes with Oilfield Sourcing on the Crude Life Daily Update. You're absolutely right. I mean, everybody knows who Schlumberger, Halliburton, all of those guys, everybody knows who they are. So you don't have to look very hard to find those guys, but the I'm, I'm catering to, you know, companies that you can't Google and find them. Cause for me, you know, if I am transferred or get a job supporting a new basin, like Pennsylvania is, is a perfect example. I, when I went to work for BKV operating, I was now supporting um, Northeast Pennsylvania and I had never supported that region before. And the, 
companies that support that area are very localized. They're not, um, you know, national. They don't have, you know, 15 branches across the U.S. So it's, it was really hard for me to try to locate companies in, in those areas. Um, you know, it took a lot of time making creating a network and talking to, you know, talk to the frat guys about, you know, who does wireline over here and who's really good at water hauling. And so it took me a really long time and it would be nice if I could just find companies with just a few clicks and then, you know, do my due diligence on, you know, making sure that, you know, they have good references and they've done a good job for other companies in the area. So I totally agree with you. I think this is a, a good platform for for smaller companies that don't have big, you know, marketing departments and, and things like that. So, yeah, I'm really optimistic for 2021. Um, I know some people aren't, but I think companies are getting more creative now with the types of events that, that they put out. You know, there's a lot of virtual events that bring people together and are keeping people connected. Um, I'm also part of the Women's Energy Network of Colorado, and we have come up with some really cool outdoor events. To listen to the full-length interview with Sean Forbes with Oilfield Sourcing or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. While you're there, be sure to check out our ever-growing army of social media energy enthusiasts at thecrudelife.com. Click on the social media page And we've got the YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, even a LinkedIn account, folks. That's thecrudelife.com. Click on the social media tab. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry. It's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by... It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard.